0: need this in a few few minutes, so I'm going to put it right there, and I need this too. Boy, they don't let me see you very well out there. I want to thank Derek for, I've never had that said before, never quite heard it put that way, I I love that, Um, hasn't mastered the Bible, but is mastered by the Bible, I like that concept a lot. I love that. Derek was one of our uh, residents in the 314 Institute in St. Louis that we started together as Journey. And so I feel like um, I'm coming down here representing your sister church um, in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. I love seeing uh, uh, love God, connect people, and transform the world. Um, I've thought about and and tried to live by that truth uh, for many years now. I was here years ago, and I worshiped with you in the old building, and I was here when this building was just being completed. We had a a leadership uh, meeting here, Uh, so I feel like uh, it's kind of familiar territory, but this is the first time I've ever had the chance to uh, preach from the word for you, and I, I just really consider it a privilege I've had the opportunity to preach at every other journey, location, uh, with the exception of Metro East. So I've got to, if, if when I get Metro East, that'll be my career Grand Slam, I guess. Uh, I'll, I'll, we'll have preached at all of the locations originally started. I had a conversation with a friend one time years ago, and we were talking about spiritual things faith, things like that, and he said to me, I don't believe in God. I don't think he exists. I was sort of shocked by that, but I knew him well enough to be pretty sure he wasn't a believer, but I thought he might have at least said he believed in God, and he had grown up in a sort of nominal Catholic home. But I was a little bit surprised to hear him say that just, you know, kind kind of blurted out like that. And my response to him was, "Can you be absolutely sure that God doesn't exist? Can you be certain about that?" What if you're wrong? If you're here this morning and you feel kind of the same way as my friend, or you're really wondering and doubting, and you're here because maybe uh, a friend invited you here, or you came because uh, you were hoping to uh, hear something that would be helpful, maybe you're struggling, maybe it's a financial issue, a career issue, a relationship issue, and maybe you came in here hoping to hear some truth, and you're not really sure about the existence of God. What if you're wrong? If God did create the universe, he does exist, what are the implications of that? That's what I asked my friend. Don't know. Never thought about it. So I said to him something that was kind of smart-alecky, I think, but I, I said it, and I think it's actually a pretty interesting point. I said... Do you believe in intellectual property rights? If you create something, does it belong to you? Is it yours? Can you determine its use, its purpose? Can you decide to keep it, write a song, write a book, paint a picture? Is it yours to do with as you please? Can you keep it? Can you determine uh, how it's used? Can you destroy it if you want to? Can you sell it? Yeah, I guess so, he said. Intellectual property rights. Do you ever think of God having intellectual property rights over the universe? It really does belong to him. On the very first page of your Bible, if you don't have a large print version, um, like I sometimes rely on, Um, it declares God's ownership over the universe. And from that first page in Genesis 1 all the way through the end of Scripture, over and over again, it teaches that God owns the universe. If he owns it, doesn't that mean he can determine its purpose, and its use, and everything in it. Makes logical sense to me. Does it to you? If You're struggling with belief in God and his existence. Does that make sense to you? I wish I could say that on that occasion my friend just said, hey, boy, that's light bulb. I I get it now. Uh, Let's kneel and pray. Wish I could say that. Didn't happen. In fact, I lost track of my friend for many years. We'll come back to that a little bit later on. But if God's in charge, then everything that the Scripture teaches us about all things related to life and faith, which is pretty much everything, we need to listen to. We need to be careful about it. Actually, you and I, if we are believers and we have come to Christ, we are warriors We're soldiers of the cross, as the old song used to say. And so we've been given marching orders. God owns it, and he's called us to manage it, and He's sent us out to tell the story to others. That's the warrior's mandate. And so in Ephesians 6, where we hear this command about prayer, it's really marching orders for us. What's your prayer life like? How often do you listen to the owner of the universe and wonder about what his desires are for you and his expectations are for you? How many decisions, both small and large, do you put before the guy who owns it all? What's your prayer life like? Spurgeon said, if any of you should ask me for the epitome of the Christian faith, I would say it is in one word prayer. I could as sooner think of living without eating or living without breathing as living without prayer. Pretty amazing statement. Does that characterize you? Does it characterize me? No. But there's the challenge. If that is true, that prayer has that kind of impact on you, and our marching orders come from the owner of the universe, and we're not communicating with him, then there's something wrong. And we need to do something about that. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, Ephesians 6, 18. Derek just read it for us. Keep alert persevere, make supplication for the saints. These are marching orders for us in the Word of God. So I want to say two things today. Not ten things, not twenty things, not seven things, not three things, two things. I want to suggest that we are given a warrior's mandate. Uh, We have marching orders regarding prayer, and we are given a mandate to be people of prayer, and we are given instruction about the method, the warrior's mandate and the warrior's method, as it relates to our communication with the one who owns it all, who owns the universe and owns us. Everything belongs to God, start to finish. You don't take it with you, right? Don't take anything with you. wonder why. Did you ever think about that? Know you all trailers getting pulled to heaven? You heard that joke? You leave it all behind, even the clothes on your back. Maybe it's because you don't own it. You don't take it with you. Some very superstitious people and cultures put a bunch of stuff in the casket, you know, teddy bears and whatever was meaningful to that person into the casket. And it's it's a sad kind of poignant thing that, that we do sort of kind of like take the things along that were most important or meaningful to us. And if you were to exhume that casket 100 years later, all those items would be there with the remains of that person also still here. We don't take anything with us. Why? Because we don't own it. It doesn't belong to us. So we're given a mandate, first of all, to pray. And he says some very specific things about how we ought to pray. First, he says, be alert. Keep alert. Verse 18, Ephesians 6. Be alert. When Jesus was meeting with his disciples, he told them to watch and pray. Remember that? What happened to those guys? After they were told to watch and pray, they all fell asleep. Right? They weren't alert. I can't tell if you're alert out there. There's too many bright lights in my face. (laughs) So, you know, I've I've been known to put some people to sleep. So, you know, if you're having a tough time, you had a late night, I get it. But Jesus called us to be alert. What does that mean? It means that we are to be alert to the fact that God is is the owner. We are the stewards. We are the managers of our lives and all that comes into our orbit or our possession. And we are to be alert to the challenges that we face as Christians in a very broken, even hostile world to the gospel. So if we are alert to what's going on around us, alert to what God desires for us, then we know how to pray well exactly in the way that God would have us pray about the things that he wants us to pray about and to be challenged by. He also says, persevere. Persevere. Praying at all times in the Spirit with prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert, and with all perseverance, making supplication supplication for the saints. Jesus talked a lot about perseverance in prayer. He gave at least two parables about that subject, the the neighbor. They're both in Luke 11, the neighbor who was persistent in knocking on his neighbor's door, that he was kind of a stranger. He didn't know him very well, kind of like we are with our neighbors sometimes these days. I hope in Marion you're a little bit more knowledgeable or friendly with your neighbors than we are up in St. Louis, but Sometimes we don't even know the people who live on the same block. It was kind of that situation that Jesus was describing when he said that this neighbor was knocking on his, on his, on his next-door neighbor's door in the middle of the night. Knocking, knocking, knocking. Pretty rude, right? But finally, after the persistence of this neighbor, uh, the man gets out of bed and helps him. And the widow, in the same passage, same chapter of Luke, is doing the same thing, begging, 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 persevering. What, did, what was Jesus? What did he mean by that? He meant that when it comes to our relationship to the owner, when it comes to our relationship to God, we need to persevere. We need to be persistent. We need to desperately desire. We need to go to him desperately in our prayer. We're so, it's so common for us to pray about something and then kind of forget about it. thought about my friend that I had posed those questions to. And over the years, once in a while, I would think about him. And I'd feel really bad because I really hadn't prayed for him very much. Hadn't even thought about him very much. Persistence in prayer. Begging God. Going to him over and over again. Till he gives us the answer. The answer is not always yes, right? It's sometimes no. But Jesus was teaching us to go to God over and over and over again till we get an answer. So the mandate for us in prayer is to stay alert to the needs around us and the circumstances that we need to be bringing to the Father. And the mandate is for us to persevere and stay with it. Hang in there. Be persistent. Some of you have heard the story about George Mueller, the famous English uh, director of multiple orphanages that lived by faith, one of the famous Christians from the 19th century. One day, early in his life, after he became a Christian, shortly after he became a Christian, George Mueller began praying for five of his friends who didn't know Christ, weren't believers. After maybe 18, 20 months, one of them came to know Christ. Not necessarily through George Mueller, but he was praying for him. Ten years later, still praying every day for these five friends, now four. Ten years later, two others were converted. It took 25 years before the fourth friend came to Christ. And Mueller prayed for them every single day. That's persistence. 25 years, the fourth one came to Christ. Mueller kept praying for that last fifth friend. Every single day, prayed for him. Finally, he himself succumbed and died. Lived a long life. I think he was in his 80s, late 80s when he died. Unusual, maybe, for the 19th century. 52 years he'd been praying for his friends, five friends. He died with four of them having accepted Christ. At his funeral, guess what happened? Maybe you've heard this story. Number five came to Christ at his funeral. That's the power and persistence of prayer. It would have been easy for God, I suppose, to have granted that request. God's providence is complex and mysterious and we don't understand it fully. Couldn't some of those guys had come to him earlier, but he wanted to teach his child a lesson about persistence. How persistent are you about the things God has called you to pray for? That's our mandate, to persevere, our prayers should be unselfish. They should be spiritual, not physical. We spend so much time praying for physical needs. My brother is sick. My sister is not doing too well. They've got financial issues. They've got relational issues. And, and we're, we tend to be focused on temporal, temporary matters when we pray. And there's nothing wrong with that per se, but they shouldn't dominate the content of our prayers says, I am to be persevering, making supplication for the saints, that's intercessory prayer, and also for me that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. So our prayers need to be focused on spiritual things. That's really what the mandate is, not just on physical kinds of things. I I hope this brother does well. I hope that sister gets better. I remember years ago when we used to have the old-fashioned Wednesday night prayer meetings. Some of you may have been in a church or grown grown up in church like that. And I remember so many times thinking how much of those prayers and that prayer time with sincere godly people praying were caught up in temporal issues. Illnesses, sicknesses, circumstances, rather than on the spiritual things that God is is calling us to pray for. We're called to pray for the cause, the kingdom, and the glory of God. We're called to pray for this church, that this church would be obedient, obedient to the kingdom cause. We're to pray for people's spiritual health, not just their physical health. We're to be focused on spiritual things, on kingdom causes, on, on uh, the glory of God, what he wants. He's the owner, right? So if he is the owner, we, we need to be praying in, a, in accordance with what he desires. If you're managing for somebody, if you're in a business and you're the manager and somebody else owns it, everything that you do in managing that building should be, or that business should be... In keeping with the desires of the owner, right? You're not going to last very long in your in your your job. God's calling us to pray, to work, to fight for His desires, not ours. His purposes, not ours. And it's urgent. I don't know about you, but if you watch the cable channels lately, looked at your news feed on Facebook you're not on social media, maybe you still do something really old-fashioned. They used to have something called a newspaper. Maybe you still read the newspaper. I kind of like just, you know, the tactile, hands-on kind of feel of the newspaper. I still, once in a while, like to read a newspaper. But if you've looked around lately, we live in a really strange, odd, broken world I've lived long enough to see a couple of generations go by you can tell by looking at me I've seen a few things and this is really a strange world we live in It's it's really different than when I was a kid or even a generation ago when I was raising my own children now I've got grandchildren I'd be happy to tell you about them if you want to linger after church. Maybe even show you some pictures. Be proud of my grandchildren. But what a different world we live in. How much more broken does it feel than the one you grew up in? If you're my age or even younger. It's all happening so fast. What does God want from us in these days? can't find out until you start communicating with the owner and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to live out my life? How do you want me to manage my time, my resources, in light of the brokenness I see all around me? You know how you are when you are about to leave on vacation? Have you noticed that the day before you leave on vacation, you're the most efficient person that ever lived? <laughs> You've got a to-do list a mile long, and you're Knocking them out one after another, checking off the boxes. Because you got so much to do, you're leaving the next day and you got to have all these loose ends tied up, right? There's an urgency about it. You're leaving the next day for two weeks or whatever it is. There's an urgency. See, the most productive, efficient, well-time-managed person the day before you leave town. That's how God wants you to live your spiritual life, your Christian life. With a sense of urgency about what's happening around you. Jesus said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is yet day, for the night is coming when no one will be able to work anymore. There was an urgency about Jesus' work and ministry. So the The mandate is for us to be alert, to see what it is and hear what it is that God wants from us, to be persevering and persistent in our prayers, never giving up until we have some kind of an answer from God, to focus our prayers on things that really matter eternally instead of just superficially and circumstantially here. That's our mandate. So what's the method? So how do we go about doing that? The warrior's method. In James 5, we didn't read that that part, but in just a small part of verse 16 in James 5, it says the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. I don't fully understand why God needs us to pray. Even that statement is, is pretty flawed. God really doesn't need us to pray. But there's some reason why there's such an urgency and a mandate for us as warriors for the gospel to be people who pray. Because he says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. God somehow mysteriously, amazingly uses our prayers for his purposes and his cause. So the method is, I think, pretty simple. We need to have a paradigm shift in our prayer method. We need to shift from self-focus to God-focus, not what I want, but what he wants. He's the owner. We need to move from human concerns, circumstantial concerns, to divine concerns. We need to move from safe to risky in our prayers. Oswald Chambers said, the essential meaning of prayer is that it nourishes the life of the Son of God in me and enables him, Christ, to manifest himself in my mortal flesh. Prayer is not an exercise. It is the life, Oswald Chambers said. So we need to move from our self-focus in prayer God, help me, help me be better, help me do this, help me do that, help me in my circumstances, I'm I'm desperate, help me. Lord, it's all about me. We need to move from that self-focus to God-focus. What do you want me to pray for? What do you want me to work for? What's my mandate from the owner? It's a paradigm shift. We move from human to divine. We move from safe prayers like, help me get through the day, Thank you for this nice day. Many times have you said that before a meal. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the meal that nourishes my body. Amen. Pass the mashed potatoes. Or somebody said biscuits and gravy this morning. Safe to risky. The Bible says in the passage that... Um, of the passage we heard, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. So we are to shift our paradigm from self to God. That's, that's the first part of the method. The second is we're, we're supposed to focus on wisdom and faith. Lord make me wise let me receive your wisdom and let my life be characterized by carrying out what you desire what you in your wisdom want let me do it with faith knowing that i can trust in you that my prayer really will have power there was a whole section of of James 4 that you heard Derek read that talked about why are you behaving like you're behaving why are you praying the way you're praying Uh, You don't have what you desire because you're asking with the wrong motivation. So the sense in which we have to analyze, what is my motivation? What is is that that I'm asking for? Is it really what God desires or is it what I want? Got to do a self-check on what your motivation is for how you're praying. That's part of the methodology. So focus on the right things. And have the right motivation as you pray. And then finally, in the latter part of that passage that we had read, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's the starting point. Are you praying as a humble believer, knowing that your issues, your concerns are not as important as the concerns and the issues of the owner? Are you humble enough to realize that God can use you, but you need to be connected to what he desires, not just what you desire. That's the paradigm shift. He says several things in that passage that we as warriors of the cross need to keep in mind. He says, submit yourselves to God. Let God's desires be your motivator, not your own. Submit yourselves to God. Surrender yourself to God. He says, resist the devil. So we need to be praying like Jesus taught us how to pray that we resist the temptation of the devil and that God should help us resist uh, the temptation to go in the opposite direction that God wants us to go. So we submit and we resist. And then it says, draw near to God, spend time with Him, be close to Him. Make uh, make your life about approaching God and knowing what He desires for you. Spend time in prayer. Spend time with Him. Draw near to God. Cleanse yourself. If you're a sinner, that means confession. Prayer needs to include confession. How much time do you spend just confessing to God all the ways in which you failed? There's a humility, There's a humble. that's a humble exercise. It's not fun, it doesn't make you feel good. It's painful to confess. One of the things I think that we probably could learn from the Catholics is the concept of confession. The only problem with their version of it is you're confessing your sins to a priest. Jesus made the way, he, he became the mediator between God and man. We don't need a priest, but we need to still confess. The exercise of regular confession purifies us, cleanses us. 1 John nine, You confess your sins to the Lord. He is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from your unrighteousness. He cleans you up. Confession. It's good for the soul. <laughs> it really is. But it's a mandate from the owner. Confess. God doesn't promise to forgive if we don't even acknowledge our sin. Confession is a transaction between ourselves and God. When we confess our sin, when we acknowledge it, we say, yes, I am a sinner, Lord, and I need your forgiveness. That transaction produces the forgiveness and the cleansing. Purify your hearts. So once you've been cleansed and confession and forgiven by God because he promises to forgive, if you confess your sins to him, once you are, are confessed and cleaned up, then live your life purely as you go forward. Now, you're not going to live your life perfectly. None of us will or can in this life. Per- person standing up here certainly doesn't and hasn't, but God calls us to live in purity when he... Found the women in adultery, he said, Go and sin no more. You are forgiven. Now go and live a different kind of life. When Paul talked about baptism in Romans 6, he said, We are buried with Christ and we are raised. How? To walk in a new way, to walk in newness of life. We are to be something different. We are to be purified people. We've been cleansed. Conf- we've confessed. We've been cleansed. We've been forgiven. Now. We're to live a different kind of life, connected to the owner. Be wretched and mourn and weep. In other words, weep for your culture. Weep for the people around you that are lost and stumbling and can't find their way. Weep for your friends that don't believe. Weep for your community that needs the gospel. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Let the joy that you feel deep in your heart for the relationship that you have with the owner to also be a place where you can mourn the lostness of the people around you. We need to have a new sense of the challenge that we face. We're warriors and we weep over those who are losing their lives without hope. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. That's the method, humility. Coming before God, saying, God, you own it all. You own me. You own everything I own. I am at your disposal. I know you desire to do things through me. I want to make myself available to submit and surrender myself to you, and then watch God work. That's the method. So we focus well, we experience a paradigm shift that moves from my desires to his. We focus on wisdom and faith. We're motivated by the right things instead of the things that bring us back to another shift back in paradigm to myself again instead of God, and that's always a tension and a battle. If we're moving our paradigm to focus on what God wants instead of my own, we always have to fight the temptation to bring that back to being about me. It's never about me. It's about him. So we have the right motivation. And then we live righteously by submitting and resisting Satan, by approaching God regularly, by experiencing the cleansing that comes from confession, by living purely as we walk from that confession and forgiveness into a different kind of lifestyle. And we all do it. We do it all with a deep humility what God desires to do with us well my friend that I lost track of that I quit praying for I didn't persevere I didn't persist I just kind of forgot one day the phone rang just a few years ago it was my friend on the other end hadn't talked to him in many years hadn't even thought about him really and said, hey Slade, how you doing? Wow, what a surprise. Voice from the past. I said, yeah, for sure. So you're still a pastor, right, Slade? Yeah? Still a pastor. Well, I'm about to get married, and I want you to do the ceremony. I said, you know, what am I gonna say, right? No. <laughs> yeah, sure, that sounds great. Where are you getting married? Wisconsin. Oh, okay. (laughs) Didn't know quite, quite what to do with that. Hadn't talked to him in years. Hadn't thought about him really. And just out of the blue, he calls me and says, will you do my wedding? So I went up there and the usual wedding stuff, you know, rehearsal dinner and all that kind of stuff. And he came to me on the day of the rehearsal dinner. He said, Slade, can we have lunch? I said, well, I guess so. You're in charge. And, you know, as long as your bride's okay, I guess we can have lunch. Yeah, she's okay with it. i like to have lunch, just the two of us. And so we went to lunch. And he said, got something I want to say to you. And I, I really, it, the faith piece, or even the conversation that we had had many, many years ago didn't even come to my brain. That's how far away I was from the faith concerns of my friend. God, forgive me. I said, what's up? And he said, I get it now. Get what? <laughs> I get it. You remember when you said to me, God owns it all? I know he does. I believe. In fact, I've, I believe in God. I believe he exists. I believe he owns it all, and I've accepted Christ as my Savior. Oh, you could have knocked me over the feather. Stop having trouble containing my emotions. Tears started coming. In my eyes started getting moist. Didn't want to get embarrassing in front of my f- old friend, but I I couldn't believe it. And he told me a story. And many people had come into his life since the time we we had talked years ago. All kinds of experiences that he had had. And all those people had been part of what God was doing. And in spite of the fact that I hadn't prayed for my friend, I wonder if it would have happened sooner if I'd prayed more faithfully for him, I don't know. But In spite of my prayerlessness, in spite of my having forgotten all about it, other people came into his life through the Lord's direction, and he came to Christ as a result of other people's prayer. And I thought to myself, I wish I had been more faithful to pray, at least, or more faithful to follow up and be faithful to see him through. I I wish I could have said I was the guy that helped lead him to the foot of the cross, but I wasn't. Maybe I planted a seed He got to thinking about it. He remembered it years later, so that's something. But I wasn't faithful. I wasn't a warrior. I wasn't interceding for him faithfully year after year, day after day, month after month, year after year. I didn't have the sense of the warrior's mandate, and I certainly wasn't practicing the warrior's method. And so I tell you that story as a wonderful story of the joy that I have. Not only was I reclaiming an old friend, but now he's my brother. We're going to spend eternity together. We can fill in all those gaps. We've done a little bit of that since then, by the way. He got married late in life. It was his first marriage. He was in his early 50s. So we filled in some of those gaps and gotten caught up a little bit. But what a joy to know that now, not only had I reclaimed an old friend, but he was now a brother. And other people had labored. They were the warriors and it brought him into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. What is it that God is calling you to pray about? How does God's ownership land on you today? How faithful have you been? Maybe there's some things to confess. Do you desire to be a warrior, a soldier of the cross? Can you claim the warrior's prayer mandate for yourself? Will you begin to be that kind of disciple today? That's really what I'm challenging you with. This community desperately needs this church. It needs you. It needs the gospel. You have friends that need you. You have family members that need you to begin to pray like a warrior for them. Will you do that on behalf of the owner? who's called you to be a warrior. Not just in serving the church. That's powerful, too. That's important. But out there, on your knees before God, praying, asking what he, he wants you to do, what the owner desires. Are you a steward of your time and your resources, your talents, your gifts? Are they being used for the cause of the gospel? The time that you need to reclaim that mandate and search the scriptures for the method so that we become bold warriors for Christ. Let's pray. Father, it's a large mandate. It's challenging to know that you own it all, and we need to be faithful to you to see to it that we carry out the wishes of the owner. Our lives are going by quickly. People my age certainly understand how quickly life goes by. We're called to be warriors of the gospel, and that means we have to be warriors of prayer. You've mandated to us that prayer is the central power that you use in us to accomplish your purposes. We need to do it with humility. And with our desire to be part of the fulfillment of your purposes, your kingdom cause, and not our provincial desires for ourselves. Teach us that truth, Father.